social unrest, the state, and the White House. You are listening to the John DePietro Show. John DePietro on AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Folks, you can always listen online at our website, DePietro.com. Well, it's Friday, and I don't have to tell you, there's a, a lot of snow outside. Um, the storm did, in fact, hit. Today is Friday. It is January 7th. What a first week of the new year it has been. My goodness. But there is a lot of snow. And things, I, again, listen, you know, I'm going to repeat just what, what you've been hearing. If there's, if, if there's any way you can put off what you were going to do over the next, you know, two to three hours, um, I, I would just delay it. You know, the, the more, the, if there's the less people on the road, the more the plows can go out and do what they have to do. So it's not a blizzard. Uh, certain areas, I, I think Burrowville got close to maybe a foot. Um, in and around the Providence area, it's more like four inches. But the heavy snow's really been coming down. So, um, you know, later on, the roads should be totally fine. You can go out, do your shopping, visit a restaurant. Let's support our restaurants. And then um, and then tomorrow's going to be cold. And then Sunday, it's going to rain, so a lot of the snow uh, should start to get away now folks listen it's not your imagination um the covid right now is peaking uh, as we speak a lot of um, schools if not everyone are doing distance learning i i also want to mention this i don't i don't understand these people that are posting that today should have just been a snow day for the kids and, and to go sledding if if you're listing that and i don't understand these people that put that it, it think about this as a, at any time as a parent you could call your child out sick and take them to the park take them skiing take them sledding uh, whatever it may be it doesn't mean it has to affect everyone these are the same people that then complain at the end of the year that the kids are still in school as you start to get into mid to late you know june so that's one of the downfalls of social media these people that Oh, to, you know, it should be a snow day for all the kids. And, let, and no, no, they, they, there's been enough loss of learning. They're really not going to learn much to begin with. But you don't need to close everything down for that reason. Now, by all accounts, according to the New York Times, um, Rhode Island and especially Central Falls is the highest COVID spread right now. Now, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. Number one, there's, there's a lot of testing going on. If anything, there's too much testing going on. Um, and what I mean by that is a lot of people that are showing no symptoms are still testing and they don't need to, but that's coming into play. Something else that's that's going to happen by the end of this month. Number one, a lot of people will have had COVID. And then they will, then therefore, then they have immunity. They I think they say about 90 days, maybe 120, but definitely 90 days. So by the time we reach February 1st, a good part of the state will have had COVID. Also coming into play are the high number of people that have been vaccinated and also got the booster. And then they didn't have, you know, a strong reaction to maybe coming in contact with COVID. So my point is by the end of January, between the number of people that have had been vaccinated and got the booster and the people that have had it, uh, the number will, will shrink shrink dramatically it's still a high number of people that have been vaccinated got the booster so my point is people wondering how long this is going to go on i i think maybe the next week will be the the peak of it and then as we start to get into the later part of the month it'll start to tamper down and then like i said by i believe by february 1st it will really start to then just go and then thank god we can start to get back to normal but make no mistake about it uh the the month we still have the month of january governor mckee has proven that for whatever reason whether it's him or the department of health they were not ready rhode island has been behind the eight ball they're going to blame this as a national problem there are many things that they have been not doing in rhode island despite they talk about we're number one in testing and all this other foolishness um there are other states, and I'll start with Massachusetts, that seemed better prepared for, for what was happening. So, again, I don't know the inner workings. Well, I don't know. We don't know if it was Governor McKee and his staff or it's the Department of Health and their staff or it's a combination of the two. 
but what Rhode Island is going through right now should not have ended up going. This also, it, it, it's absurd that even just a week ago, Governor McKee kept saying that Rhode Island was like number one, for whatever reason, number one in the nation of something. It's, 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 ridiculous. it's right there in the New York Times. We have the wor- If that were true, then why do we have the worst spread? I'll also, folks, I, w- I want to mention this on this Friday, and not everyone's going to get it. But this business of, you know, they're obviously allowing the state to operate as a sanctuary state. They're allowing places like Providence, Pawtucket, and Central Falls to be uh, sanctuary cities. But to just announce that and do that, um, but not take other provisions, you know, Governor McKee is saying he wants to give illegal uh, immigrants, aliens, whatever you want to call them, undocumented, wants to give them driver's licenses. They, they, they They don't do the hard work meaning the, the governor's people, the governor himself, they're not doing the hard work. You can't just announce that because the major problem is when, when something like this happens because, number one, what it'll do to the roadways. Number two, you have all these people here illegally. They don't have doctors. They don't have pediatricians. They certainly don't have money. They don't have health insurance. They don't have uh, anything like that. So, so what happens? They end up going to all the outpatient centers. They go to the emergency rooms, and they clog them. But what, what are they supposed to do? There's somebody, you know, that came here from another country. They're also then, they don't drive well. You know, yesterday the DOT was saying, now, some people that have arrived from warmer climates, you know, you, you got to slow down when you drive. So they've never even driven in snow before. So my point is, and, and of course, you know, the problem is bad in Central Falls. There are people standing in line outside for hours. Omicron is very contagious. Uh, Dr. Fine of the former director of the Rhode Island Department of Health, who I know, he he's, did an interview with the Boston Globe. He thinks that that was spreading it a lot. Like, the, where does this end? It's either some accountability has to fall on either Dr. Scott or it has to fall on on, uh, on Governor McKee, either way. But th- this, this is, they have the resources. They're not using them. Uh, when I say the word embarrassing, I, maybe that's not the right word. But it's it's unnecessary. It's it does does everything have to be amateur hour? Does everything have to be that they're running around like the hairs on fire? Like you know everything is then they're, they're so reactive. I think is the best way. With Governor McKee, I think uh, a, a major problem I believe that he has is his lack of experience. It's either lack of experience and or just who he is. But they're, they're very reactionary, and they didn't have the the eye on the ball on this. Uh, it's it's been obvious for a while that he doesn't get along, uh, has a terrible relationship with what we hear from Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott. But nothing's done about it. They just feel they can work through it. And guess what? They they're not working through it. And you know, Dr. Scott, who's always preached equity, everyone must be treated the same, and that that's, you know, that all sounds good. But if you have large numbers of people, and I mean thousands, that are not from here, who don't speak the language who don't have primary care physicians, uh, who are not used to dealing with our climate. It, 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 that, that, it, it sounds good you're going to treat everyone the same, but you, you, can't, treat, you, you can't treat everyone the same because everyone is, is not the same. Um, and they're not, as much as Lieutenant Governor Matos just says, they're Rhode Island, they're, you know, they're not Rhode Islanders. They, they, they don't know what it's like in the wintertime. Um, they, they haven't dealt with a lot of that. They, they haven't had the same type of health care. I believe the situation we're in right now is a failure of our local government leaders, starting at the top, starting with Governor McKee, his lieutenant governor, the Department of Health. They have failed the citizens of Rhode Island. Governor McKee also, you know, if you, if you saw DePetro.com, we, you know, there are people openly shooting heroin, fentanyl out in the open and broad deadline daylight a video of it that was in Pawtucket but it's going on you're going to get more of that as Governor McKee is going to have these injection sites that's going to attract drug addicts to Rhode Island Uh, you're starting to see you have to you know is the state getting better under Dan McKee or is it getting worse all the pandering all the they don't do the hard the the hard work that goes along with some of these decisions they think you just announce something and then it takes care of itself and it doesn't work that way. So I think there's a strong argument that uh, that the state is, is actually getting more dangerous. 
and because of all the political pandering because they have people they they he have, has failed to get the proper people on his staff to execute what needs to be done and as a result of that rhode island is suffering all right a lot ahead it's a snowy friday i'm telling you if you don't have to go anywhere don't go anywhere give some time whatever it is can be put off for just a few more hours you're listening to the john DePietro show if you're ever in an accident pick up the phone and call west fountain auto body today 401-272-3340 were you in an auto accident someone damaged your vehicle folks it can happen whether it's people not paying attention a drunk driver people texting and driving if you're ever in an accident pick up the phone call west fountain auto body 401-272-3340 they're located 400 west fountain street in providence remember with west fountain auto body they're going to work for you not the insurance company call them today if you were in an accident drunk driver someone texting and driving minor fender banner even a nearly totaled vehicle call west fountain auto body today 401-272-3340 they'll handle everything for you the original, the best, and if you're in an accident and a tow truck pulls up, tell them, bring that car over to West Fountain Auto Body, 401-272-3340, 401-272-3340, West Fountain Auto Body, located 400 West Fountain Street in Providence. They'll work for you, not the insurance company. If you're in an accident, call West Fountain today. Get it repaired, 401-272-3340. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. There is a uh, tremendous documentary that is going to be airing on Newsmax on January 6th. But then all weekend long, it was put together. It's called Day of Outrage, the January 6th anniversary. Jack Thomas Smith and Jack Thomas Smith joins us now on the John DePietro Show. Jack Thomas Smith. Uh, I want to tell you, congratulations. What an effort you have put together. Take us inside the making of Day of Outrage. Thanks, John. I appreciate that. And thank you for having me on your show. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, basically the way we did this, um, uh, we shot all over. We shot in New York. Uh, we shot in D.C. Uh, actually, I have to rephrase that. We filmed in D.C. We filmed in New York. Uh, we filmed in Florida. Uh, the, the guests were absolutely amazing. Uh, as you know, we had Greg Kelly, Sebastian Gorka, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Louis Gomer. Um, and it was, uh, this was a, uh, definitely a passion project. Um, you know, whatever you may think of January 6th, um, you know, there were some people that did commit acts of violence and they should be held accountable, no doubt. But everyone is entitled to due process i mean that is our basic one of our basic fundamental uh, fundamental rights as americans um and so many of these j6ers uh they're being denied civil rights uh, their their civil rights right now um so so this was very much a passion project for me just because i i am a firm believer in what is right and what is wrong um, and again, folks, uh, it, it is really eye-opening, day of outrage, and I'm so glad that uh, that Jack Smith has put this together and that Newsmax is going to be earing it. Again, if you go to Newsmax, you can watch it. You know, take us inside. Something you just said, they started immediately with this narrative of several things jump out at me, just that it was an armed insurrection, which it wasn't, but then also the amount of people that that you know that they say that had died and it also started with the first lie that you had a capitol police officer that was beaten to death with a fire extinguisher and that never happened right and i'm, I'm glad you brought that up um you know the the, the only shot that was fired in the capitol d that day was the shot that killed ashley babbitt that's right okay? Um, you know, Roseanne Boyland, um, her death is, is definitely shrouded in mystery right now. Um, and then there were two other gentlemen who died from natural causes. Right. Day, but Brian, 
Brian Sicknick, we the, the shame of it of it is that we can only tell this documentary in forty three minutes. Right. Um, we actually had a whole piece in there about Brian Sicknick, and unfortunately, it didn't make the final cut. We're we're actually in talks to do a sequel to this or a follow up. So at that point, we'll be able to address uh, Brian Sicknick, but. You know, Greg Kelly went into that. You know, he said, oh, it sounded terrible, you know, killed by a fire extinguisher, you know, by a Trump supporter. You yep. know, that's murder. Um, but it didn't happen. This was all just a false narrative, right on down to calling this a quote unquote insurrection. Right. It wasn't an insurrection. There weren't people walking around the Capitol armed or, or you know, firing weapons or tanks in the streets. There was none of that. This was just a protest. It was a peaceful protest that became unruly and at times violent. And all of this could have been prevented had there been more security there, had there not been a failure from the top to have National Guard there, to have uh, more police there, to have better coordination with, with security that day. Folks, again, we're speaking with Jack Thomas Smith. Newsmax is going to be airing it, and it is fantastic. Day of outrage. All to do the real, to me, the what really tells the story what happened on January 6th. Jack, I also like the fact that you talk about, you know, obviously I, I know people that were there. And, and on that night when I talked to them, what, what they were telling me was the aggression of many of the Capitol Police. I, I know of someone that had no intention of engaging. And then, uh, you know, suddenly his friend got hit by, uh, you know, a, a flashbang. And then uh, he, he got hit by, I think they were even shooting paintballs at them. And then I, I know of someone, his friend was violently beaten. And you capture with this, this one protester there, Trump supporter, it, it's reminiscent of, of the like the Rodney King beating. Right, right, and 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 you know it's 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 interesting because our guest, uh, one of our guests, Jay Michael Waller, he was there, and some of the footage that we show in the documentary, uh, it was actual footage that he filmed with his cell phone, um, and and he even raised that point. He said, "Why were they firing tear gas canisters into the crowd that was down below behind the barriers? They weren't they they weren't committing any acts of violence. They were just standing there peacefully." And we actually show it. You can see the flashbangs going off over their heads and the people crying out because they were so shocked. Then you see a tear canister. Just, I mean, think about how dangerous that is. This tear can canister just, it, it literally hits right in the middle of this crowd. It, you know, it wasn't even fired off to the side to, to make their point on it. literally came right into the crowd. Um, and, and actually, Mike said that to me, uh, you know, off camera. He said he saw a woman get hit in the face with one of the tear canisters and just started bleeding. Yep. And she wasn't doing it. She was just standing there. And he, he said there were a lot of, of, of elderly people there, children that were there. Um, so, yeah, he, he was like, why are, they, why are they shooting this into the crowd down there? You know, there, of course, there were, there were agitators up front. You know, there were people doing things that they should not have done. And, and you know, let's be clear, anyone throws a punch at a cop, I mean, you know, go to jail, you know? Right. And, but again, you're entitled to due process, but yeah, you have to be punished for that. But there was no reason to, to, to do this to people down below that, that were just peacefully assembling. Folks, again, we're speaking the filmmaker. It is a must-see. Jack Thomas Smith. And Jack, I also like the aftermath, how the J6ers were treated. Uh, the last time we saw people treated like this was after, I would even argue, 9-11 with Guantanamo. Denied basic rights, couldn't contact, communicate. P family didn't know did they have them? Where were they? Uh, suddenly, you know, they talk about circumventing democracy and the Constitution. The Constitution was thrown out the window when when the government was dealing with the J6ers. Oh, it's it's ridiculous. And, and that was actually what we wanted to show in the documentary. Um, you know, we have uh, Chris Worrell, um, who, you know, has battled cancer for years. Um, and after he was arrested um, and, and again, a, a nonviolent act. Um, they're accusing him of, of spraying a, a police officer with, with pepper spray, but there's absolutely no proof of it. No proof. Um, but when he was in uh, the D.C. jail, they were withholding his, uh, his medications to keep his cancer in check. Uh, and during his time there, he developed uh, his, his cancer is now stage three. 
Um, and he's out now, thank God. Uh, the judge that they brought this before, I mean, I, I guess he, he lambasted the, the, uh, the warden of that jail. Uh, just let them have it for the way he had been mistreated in there. So he's out now. Um, and then our, one of our other guests, Roberto Menuda, I mean, this guy helped police officers at the request of a police officer. There, so so going into the Capitol, there were a whole group of officers that were getting crushed. There was such a push into the Capitol that these officers were, were they were stuck. So Roberto and a group of other men, they went in there at the request of a police officer to help other officers get out. That's all they did. And this guy's looking at years in jail. I think he's got huh. three charges against him, and he doesn't have a lawyer. So, so if there's anyone out there listening who would be interested in uh, helping out Roberto Minuta, by all means, contact me at jackthomassmith.com. Folks, again, Jack Smith, and, and I'll tell you, Greg, Greg Kelly to me, I mean, I, I won't say he steals the show, but he, he's just so effective. And, and something, Jack, that I, I, I still, the other side won't accept or understand is what what they fail to understand as someone that I, I have obviously attended many Trump rallies. I've been the MC at Trump rallies. We I, I've covered the protests of 2020. We watched. They cannot get it through their head. Our side, if I if you will, Trump's we watched the entire summer of BLM and Tifa, the yes. the quote peaceful pro we watched them destroy every major city. And then so for Two hours, and, and there were no repercussions. We watched them in Washington tear down monuments around the country. So for two hours, tourist people that were visiting Trump supporters, visiting Washington, a couple of people got a little rowdy. The, the, it, based on, if you look at the totality of it, you know where was still the outrage of the summer of 2020 and all those BLM riots? It's all political. Yep. And that's... That's what it all comes down to. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember who said it in the documentary. I can't remember if it was Sebastian Gorka or if it was Greg Kelly, but one of them made the comment. It was Sebastian Gorka. He said that, you know, in this country, it appears that one form of violence is okay. And, you know, so if, you know, during the George Floyd riots, you know, that's that's just fine. It's peaceful protest. Meanwhile, they're doing two to three billion dollars worth of damage that's to right. these businesses and, and neighborhoods. Um, and we show that in the documentary, you know, we, we kind of showed the before, during and after with January 6th, you know, and the before you had the frustration with the election, the concerns about uh, potential voter fraud. Um, but then you also had the, the, uh, the hypocrisy there. OK, you're locked down for COVID. People are losing their jobs. Businesses can't leave your house. But then, hey, it's OK to come out and protest and riot. But then, OK, no, you can't you can't vote in person. That's too dangerous. So, you know, we wanted to really nail that down because it, it kind of set the stage of the frustration there um, that led up to January 6th. And, and again, all January 6th was, it was a protest. That's all it was. It was just people yep. that were concerned about the results of an election. That's exactly that, that right. That was protected by the First Amendment. Well, Jack, I, I got to tell you, folks, it is uh, really well done and put together. Jack, you and your team, you should feel great about it, folks. It's going to be airing all weekend long on Newsmax. It's it's day of outrage uh, on the anniversary of January 6th. Jack, I mean it. Congratulations. Great job. And we'll talk to you again. Thanks, John. Thanks for having me on. Propane Plus. For heating and cooling, call Propane Plus today in Massachusetts, 508 252 3359 in rhode island propane plus 401-885-4209 it's the johnson family it's propane plus the leading full service provider of propane to rhode island and southeastern mass not only can they install your tank and schedule propane deliveries but they can service your entire heating cooling system and install any propane or natural gas appliances locations in east greenwich and also in rehoboth remember propane plus is energy for everyone it's affordable sustainable equitable good for the environment and also now it's renewable online at propaneplus.com propane plus heating and cooling in massachusetts call the rehoboth office 508-252-3359 and in rhode island 401-885-4209 you can depend on propane plus you're listening to the John DePietro Show, folks. It's AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Remember, you can always listen online at our website, dipietro.com. There's an interesting story 
that's taking place in Worcester. And joining us right now, we've spoke to him in the past. He is terrific. The National Right to Work Foundation's Mark Mix. And Mark, uh, as we're speaking, first of all, Happy New Year. And right now, as we're speaking, there are people certainly in the Worcester area that are going to listen to our conversation. So if you would be so kind as to break it down for us. Yeah, John, Happy New Year to you, and uh, the news keeps coming in, despite the changing of the calendar, but, uh, you know, the foundation, uh, the National Right to Work Legal Defense Foundation provides free legal aid to employees whose rights have been violated by forced unionism arrangements, and interestingly enough, we, our staff attorneys, are representing employees up in Worcester at the St. Vincent Hospital System that have basically just come back from what was a 300-day-plus strike that was called by the Massachusetts Nurses Association. And it looks like, based on what we understand right now, the National Labor Relations Board has validated a petition filed by workers at St. Vincent's to try to decertify the union that represents them. And it's an interesting scenario because this we, way back in early this year, as the strike began, we let workers know what their rights were vis-a-vis you know, crossing a picket line or supporting the strike or whatever it is they chose to do individually. And that manifests itself now in workers signing petitions, a petition to, that went to the National Labor Relations Board that will allow them to vote on whether or not this union, this nurses union, can continue to represent them in the workplace. And so this is a, a, a an ongoing story that continues, but the impact of that 300-day-plus strike up in Worcester has been bad, very difficult. It's divided the workplace. It's divided the community. Um, and frankly, at the end of the day, even though a new contract was uh, ratified, Two days ago, uh, there are workers that are still very unhappy about being out on the picket line or being forced out on the picket line by union officials for all that time this past year. Folks, again, we're speaking with Mark Mix, National Right to Work Foundation. And, and, uh, and Mark, this has been going on. It also shows that, you know, look, you would think that in a pandemic and what's going on with COVID, that a lot of this stuff would be put aside. But that's just not the, the, the way they operate. Yeah, and, you know, obviously those were some of the issues that were involved in the strike, but it was basically about the the Massachusetts Nurses Association being able to maintain their monopoly power over all the workers. And what we found, John, in the healthcare industry is there are a lot of nurses, and we've represented nurses all across the country in various situations like this, when a union has said, look, you got to go out on strike. And there are nurses that believe very, 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 very emotionally in the care of their patients, and they want to cross the picket line. But it's interesting because there, there are so many traps set for workers that want to continue serving their patients, notwithstanding a labor dispute and a, and a, and a walkout. And what happens is, is they, they cross the picket line, and the next thing you know, they get a, a letter in the mail from the union saying, hey, by the way, you've been fined you know, $1,000, $10,000. We've had fines up to $40,000 for employees who have actually said, no, I want to go to work. I'm more interested in going, being on the, on the floor helping my patients than I am walking a picket line for issues that are basically about giving the union officials more power over the workplace folks again uh we're speaking with mark mix and this is national right to work legal defense foundation and these are the nurse at saint vincent hospital right there in worcester and, and again hello and uh, everyone in worcester that that is listening to us uh it's certainly aware of this that this has been going on now mark as much as we're talking about this i would be remiss if i didn't get your reaction to what's playing out in Chicago right now as these teachers unions are absolutely refusing to go back into the classroom, even though the mayor's pleading with them and everyone has shown that children are safest in school. Yeah, John, this is this is another ongoing disaster that's occurring. But the, the silver lining in all this, and I don't mean to downplay the impact on the children, the impact on you know those folks and those parents out there that that are paying you know tax dollars to, to support a school system that's not educating their children. But the bottom line here is that people across the nation, and Chicago may be the, quote, boiling point today about this. Loudoun County, Virginia was the boiling port, you know, point back in November and October of last year when, you know, they exposed the power of the teachers' unions over the school system, the government school system in America. And, and Chicago, this latest example is just another example of the, of the 
devastating power the union officials a radical group of union officials not the teachers in the classroom for the most part but the radical union officials that have taken control of these monopoly institutions that basically insert themselves between parents and school boards parents and city councils parents and county commissions parents and elected officials and basically say you do it our way otherwise we're going to withhold this governmental service and you know i think john the one thing that's going to happen here is the teacher union bosses here in washington dc and randy wine Garden up in New York City have way overplayed their hand, and parents are beginning to pay attention. And I think there's going to be a dramatic change in how uh, you know city councils and county commissions and school boards deal with union officials going forward. And Chicago is just the latest flare-up in that. Folks, again, it's National Right to Work Foundation. It's Mark Mix. Mark, uh, if you wouldn't mind, I sh- I'm sure I'm going to be talking to you quite a bit in 2022. If you'd give just some information, people can learn more about the uh, the organization. Yeah, uh, the National Right to Work Foundation has been around since 1968. We have 21 staff attorneys that do nothing but represent employees uh, for free. We provide free legal services when they have come up against the the compelled power of organized labor, whether it be in the private sector or in the public sector. We have litigated 18 times at the U.S. Supreme Court, and employees can get questions answered by an attorney um, about their workplace rights, and they can find us on the Internet at www.nrtw.org, nrtw.org. W.org. They can call 1-800-336-3600 and talk with an attorney about their situation in the workplace. Or they can find us on the Internet as well and, and Facebook and all those other platforms out there. Folks, again, he is Mark Mick. Make Henry Oil your oil provider this winter. Give them a call today. Call Henry Oil, 401-521-0200, 401 521 0200 Henry Oil serving most of Rhode Island and southeastern Mass automatic delivery budget plans service contracts lock and cap pricing you can depend on Henry Oil call them today 401 521 0200 reliable affordable fuel oil delivery fuel fuel oil diesel gasoline delivery residential and commercial it's Henry Oil give them a call since 1947 you can depend on Henry Oil. Call them today. Make Henry Oil your oil provider. 401-521-0200. 401-521-0200. Remember, online at henryoil.com. Go with the original. Go with the best. It's Henry Oil. And uh, folks, joining us right now is our legal expert, one of Rhode Island's top attorneys. It's attorney Tim Dodd. Good afternoon and happy new year to our friend Tim Dodd. Thanks, John. Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. Tim, I know that uh, kind of catching you on the fly and it's developing, but um, I want to just, if you could walk us through some of the the legal elements that uh, happened today in court with this Amos Segura charged with, he was the one, crashed his vehicle into Olivia Passaretti. If we could just start with, they set bail, Tim, at 250000 and then the public defender, if I got this right, she said we, we're going to, they were going to hold him anyway as a bail violator. So um, they, they didn't address the 250000 bail, but instead it was almost like they accepted he would be held on that he had been a bail violator. Uh, that he had, you know, a parole violator and so forth. Is, is that, is that, do I, how did that, you know, the way I describe it, is that what went down today? That's basically the way it went down. There's two elements that he was in front of a judge on. Number one, to face the new charges um, resulting from this dreadful um, incident on Route 95. So he has been charged with a number of um, uh, things leaving the scene of an accident, death resulting obstruction um, and a number of other charges. Um, collectively, it's clearly a jail case. Um, you know, in, in a plea bargain situation, it would require him doing significant time. Um, the second component, and before I jump ahead, so on the new charges, the judge set bail at $250,000 with surety meaning the guy would have to come up with $25,000 out of his pocket or work with bail bondsman if he had the the means to do so. But 
he can't get out even if he had the 25000 in his pocket because he is a violator of the terms of his probation or his parole. I don't know how much time he caught on the violation or if he's admitted to the violation. Typically, he would be held at the intake service center until a violation hearing can be scheduled. And with COVID, and before COVID, it used to be you'd get your hearing within 10 days. Now it can take two or three or more weeks before he will get a hearing. At that hearing, he may choose to present evidence or he may choose to negotiate something saying, okay, you know, I'll agree to a year on the violation. I'll agree to six months on the violation. That would only be to address his violation of the un- of the charges that he had previously pled to. So he's running a, on two different tracks here. One, he's in trouble for violating the terms of his release on old charges. And two, he's on a separate track facing the music for all the criminal charges resulting from this um, um, auto incident, which led to the death of the young girl from East Greenwich, tragically. So, Tim, the, the, what the state police put out on a Sunday was leaving the scene of an accident resulting in death, driving yep. to endanger, obstruction of justice, and operating on a suspended license. Now, um, he posted on Facebook, and a lot of people are asking about this. He posted on Facebook that that day, on New Year's Eve, that he was going to get drunk and maybe ram his Mercedes Benz into someone. And the way... The police described this, Tim. They they described it today in court in a manner almost that he intentionally ran his vehicle into her. It was it was not like lost control. This wasn't a race. This wasn't a dispute in some kind. Could could everyone keeps asking, could this lead to people are asking me, isn't that premeditated? He posted he was gonna get drunk and ram his Mercedes he had a Benz into someone. Um, so people are asking, how is this not premeditated or possibly a manslaughter charge? Well, th- th- these charges can certainly be amended. The charges can okay. be added. It could be up to a manslaughter charge. This is the initial charge that's going to keep him in jail and the charges for which the court was considering bail. Yep. As this case proceeds, he could certainly find additional charges added on. So let's, by the way, I, what you have on your Facebook with all of this yeah. guy's uh, Facebook material, you, you've got better reporting than what I've seen, like in the Projo and other sources. They haven't printed all this no. material. You've got this material, which really tells the tale about this guy's frame of mind. Um, let's talk first about intoxication. There's no evidence that he was intoxicated. That's probably, if he's smart, and this is all speculative. He's a guy who's been through the system more than once. Assume he was, uh, for the sake of discussion, intoxicated when this um, incident occurred. He runs away. He, He doesn't turn himself in, but the cops get him the next morning. By then, if he or any similarly situated defendant Um, is picked up the next day. Now, the alcohol is not going to be in their system. Had he stopped at the scene, arguably, and had he been found to be intoxicated, you know, he's looking at 12 to 15 years in jail, if convicted or even in a plea bargain. Um, He left the scene with uh, death resulting. That's also a jail case, but not nearly as um, potentially significant in terms of time to serve. Um, as it would be if it was um, driving to endanger while intoxicated, death resulting. That's a much more serious charge. I'm not saying that's why he ran away, but if he ran away because he might have been intoxicated, he dodged one of the many bullets that are still coming his way. As far as the premeditation, You know, words mean what people want them to mean. And if there's nothing more than that Facebook post, um, I'm not sure that would be enough to um, convict him. That might have been a general sentiment a day before when he said it. But we don't really know what the, I mean, I think I know what happened. I think you know what happened. But there's a difference between what we think we know and what we can prove in court. Right. 
I think it would be a difficult um, task to prove premeditation. Um, you might get an involuntary manslaughter, you might get manslaughter, but I don't think there's sufficient evidence based upon what we know today to get the premeditation element. Tim, in court, and again, folks, we speak with our legal expert, Tim Dodd, about the Olivia Passaretti, the, the accused, this uh, Ramis Segura was in court today, he's being held. Tim, the police did mention, I think there was a, a, an odor of, um, you know, cannabis in the vehicle, and I think they said they found at least three empty Coronas. Uh, I'm not sure if he admitted to them that he had been drinking and smoking, but so does that in any way... There's, you know, some empty, I think I know the answer to this, but what about just, you know, because people are saying, yeah, but, the, you know, it, the car reeked of weed and there was some empty booze, you know, some empty containers. I, I mean, I'll let you answer. I think I kind of unfortunately know the answer to this, but. Who consumed the beers that were right. empty? I mean, did he have a passenger? Were they from three weeks ago? Yeah. How long had they been there? Right. Um, had he consumed them within a sufficient window of time that they right. could have given him a high enough blood alcohol level to be driving while impaired? Um, the same would be true as to the marijuana. I mean, I guess if, I mean, I've rented vehicles in other states. You get out of the airport, you get into the rental car from any of the major um, vendors, and many times the car smells like pot yep. because people are smoking pot in cars all the time. If I got pulled over, the car would smell a pot. That wouldn't mean that I was the person you know, in, in inhaling the pot. I right. just was in a vehicle that smells of it. He could have smoked pot copious amounts two days before. Again, I think I know what the answer is. You think you know what the answer is, but proving it in court is right. an entirely different operation. Tim Dodd, what about, uh, it was revealed today. So it's kind of interesting how the, the plates he had on the Benz didn't match what, you know, should have been on the Mercedes, which is common where people just take some license plates, throw them on. The car, when the police were going through it, uh, belonged to the person that they bought it from in Lincoln. So this... The girlfriend who lives in Charlestown, uh, and again, I I have her up on the website. Uh, I pulled her information. Alicia Peckham, she shows up at the scene, and she's talking with the police, and she's saying, "Oh, I I think my boyfriend was in an accident," and then and then leaves. Well, they sh- they go to the 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 person in Lincoln who the Benz is registered to, the Mercedes. The guy shows them a bill of sale. That he sold the Mercedes to Segura's girlfriend, this Alicia Peckham. They show up at her home in Charlestown. She says, I haven't seen him. This is on New Year's Day. I haven't seen him for two weeks. They search the house and he's hiding under a bed. Could she end up being in trouble? For that. Yes, she could. Yeah, sure. Yes. She could be an accessory after the fact. There's criminal charges coming her way, too, for sure. Would, would they, because um, this, this guy, as you say, you know, Tim, he's been in trouble like his whole life, certainly since he was 18, but even before then. Um, people don't like it, but by him leaving, then they couldn't give him the blood tests and breathalyzer and everything else. But, um, Tim, do you get the sense? Nerona's, you know, let's call it what it is. Peter Nerona released a statement last night, doesn't always do that. Um, a lot of people are watching this case. It's a high profile. This poor 17-year-old girl, this maniac, rams his car into her, runs her off the highway, uh, kills her. He flees the scene. Do, is this something like, Tim Dodd, take us through, do they go to a grand jury? Like, could there be a number of different charges that just they haven't presented yet, but they... They could just drop like a boatload on this guy. Yes, and I expect that will happen. And John, both on this matter where he caused the accident, which killed the young lady, he's looking at significant jail time. And he's got so much over his head right now with previous charges. I mean, he could wind up catching, I'm just speculating, a year or two or three maybe more, maybe less, on all the violations. I mean, from Peter, Mar- Peter Nerona's perspective, I mean, there's, there's a growing backlash against um, lax prosecution of criminals around the country. Yeah. I mean, there's been this push to be easy and have no cash bail and let people out of prison, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we're now reaping 
a harvest of these liberal policies. And this guy, this defendant, is like the poster child for yeah. the system not doing its job. Yep. He's been let out. He's been on, you know, given um, suspended sentences. He hasn't been made to serve the time. He violates. He doesn't catch all the time. He violates again. Um, he's done just about the whole menu of criminal activity. He's stolen cars. He, he broke into Governor Raimondo's car. He broke car. into the governor's SUV, for crying out loud. He's wow. committed B&Es. He's used stolen credit cards. He's um, he's committed a third-degree sexual assault, apparently. I mean, he's, run, he's done the whole smorgasbord of criminal conduct out there. And Verona's had a lot to answer for. How yeah. did his department, you know, in large part, let this guy keep... Uh, getting back on the street. Um, so will this become a political um, problem for uh, Mr. Morona? I mean, everything's a potential po- political problem, but, you know, he's got he's to release statements. He's got to get out front on this yeah. one because this is an embarrassment to the whole judicial and, um, you know, police law enforcement system. It's an embarrassment. Tim Dodd, and again, folks, you haven't seen it. I posted on petro.com his record. Tim, the jacket's like an inch thick, but all these suspended sentences. Um, I mean, you know, you and I talk each week, but there is like a, you know, you wonder, how is this guy even out on the street? He's definitely like a career criminal. It's one after another. And I also wanted to ask you, I also broke this morning. I put this also on Facebook, but he posted Hey, this is uh, 2018. I have to do 100 hours community service. If someone will uh, write a letter saying I did it for you, I'll pay you. Is that something that could come back to bite him, Tim Dodd? If they find that he did, in fact, fake the 100 hours of community service and then the person that, you know, that's committing fraud to provide a letter to, you know, whoever the courts to say, oh, yeah, he provided 100 hours of community service. Well, yes. If he got a if he got a phony letter about community service, then he defrauded the court, he defrauded probation, he defrauded the police department and the sentencing judge. And if any fool was stupid enough to give him such a phony letter, that person's subject to prosecution as well. Yep. One thing is, this guy has been under the radar, as you say. You know, when you when you put his criminal history. It's astonishing that he's still walking around in the streets, but he's now the poster child for all of this stuff. And I would presume and I would hope that he is going to get whacked pretty hard um, on the violation or violations that he is looking at. Um, You know, the court can use a certain amount of discretion. Uh, This guy can ask for a hearing, but one would hope that um, the judge who has this case would be on the... um, heavier side of um, discretion and what he he or she could give this guy for uh, the violations that I believe have occurred with him. It's, 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 it's tragic, John. It's a tragic thing for this, this nice young lady. It seems like she was a great kid, a great student, an athlete, well-liked in the community, and she gets taken out by... God. This, I don't even want to say what I think of them. Yeah. Now, Tim Dodd, let me also, and again, folks, so speak with our legal expert. Um, now, Tim, I, I know there's different uh, elements of this. Number one, I, people, you know, there's a thing people want justice. He, I'm going to say, I mean, he's not going to get life in prison. He could get a tough sentence, but it, should we read something? You know, he was sniveling in court and crying. I think of the first time. We saw O.J. in court, if you remember. He had his head down. He could barely answer the judge. But then, you know, they kind of rebound. Like, this wasn't someone that came striding in, defiant, cocky, you know, waving to the family that were in the court. He, he was using a cane. He was sniffling. He was crying and the whole thing. Um but, but Tim Dodd, I, I just, I wouldn't expect this case to, to go to trial. I mean, isn't this, like, doesn't this get pled out? It would more than likely get pled out specifically because of his uh, criminal uh, record, his previous criminal record. And we're just hopefully, at the, hopefully, uh, presumably at the tip of the iceberg with what he might be putting out there on social media, which might hurt his case. Yeah. 
the whole question is, was there, I mean, clearly he was driving recklessly. Yep. Um, people don't know it, but there's cameras all over the highways. So in this case, I believe the state police were able to capture, save, and preserve um, video of this whole incident unfolding. As many times that if they know there's a death and they get in touch with DOT promptly, there's video um, surveillance all over the highways that people don't know about. And I, I trust and I hope that they've got that footage um, because if it shows this guy behaving like we've been reading about, um, that's another nail in his coffin. And, you know, he goes into court and he's, he's on a cane and he's crying. Well, is he crying for the young lady whose life he took or is he crying for himself because he got caught? Right. Um, you know, and I, I, I wouldn't be presuming that he's crying because he took a life. I'm sure he's crying because he got caught and he knows he's now going to do some serious time. He's yeah. gamed the system for a long time and I think the jig is up. I think it is. Tim Dodd, I think he becomes in a way like our Willie Horton and he's catching Nerona with an opponent in election year and he is. Uh, Armis Sagorit is almost like as you say, the poster boy of this is what happens with people that just kind of fall through the cracks and suspended sentence and things are put off. Now, Tim Dodd, before I let you go, um, you know, the big question, I think it's too early to tell, but a big question that people are asking me, and I don't know if we're prepared to, but just people are wondering right now, based on what we know, how, how much time could someone like this be looking at? It's way early, but I would think um, for all of this, if the facts support what we all think occurred, tend to serve. Yeah. Tend to serve. So like 10 to 15, 10 to serve, something like that. Well, when you have a death like this and yeah. there's a DUI component, that's where you get into the 12 to 15, 15 to 18, if okay. they don't have the alcohol component, yep. uh, but you do have some of this Facebook material, yeah, 10 to 12 years to serve. And uh, Tim Dodd, if, if, not to put you, but I would imagine right now, uh, State Police Nerona, they are, <laughs> I mean, I you tell me, I think they're going through, number one, all the social media, but on top of that, trying to find ways to you know, there's going to be maybe more weight put. You know, maybe there's a case that somebody knows that's unsolved, or maybe there's something else. But, you know, two years here for this, two years there for that. I mean, it all starts to kind of add up. Um, but I, I think, Tim, this is this is a lot of eyes are on Pina Arona right now as to how, how his office handles this. Yes, and this, this defendant has made himself the, the perfect target for the system, so to speak, to throw the book at him. Yeah. To give political cover for the people who need political cover, um, to give cover to prosecutors who perhaps didn't push hard enough, or, you know, the whole judicial system. You know, everyone's got some answering to do for how this all happened with this guy staying on the street so many times. I'm sure on each case, if you spoke to the court and you spoke to the prosecutors and defense counsel, there'd be good reasons for the outcomes that have occurred. But now you look at the end result and you look back in time and to the average person um, or to any person, it's just an outrageous situation that this dreadful person has been out on the street doing every imaginable crime and you know he takes the life of a young innocent girl who is just driving home it's yeah. just, just unspeakably tragic folks again he is our legal expert he's the best attorney tim dodd tim great job as always thank you for taking the time obviously we're sure. going to talk to you on thursday we also have that horrible incident uh twin river where not only did we find there was a crash and the driver another driver this time the driver fled the, the woman who was killed in the crash was his fiance and the guy driving it. And that was the Lincoln case. But we'll we'll uh, one at a time and we'll talk about that on Thursday. Thank you, Tim. Look, for, look forward to it, John. Take All care. right. Bye -bye. Thank you, folks. There he is. He is the best attorney. Tim.